You are listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSN, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our student pastor, Gabe Pecoraro. So tonight we're gonna be in John chapter six, verses one through 24, but I wanted to give you a little bit of backstory because you see, um, in between John chapter five and John chapter six, in the book of John, we see that there's some stuff that actually happens in the life of Jesus and his disciples' life that I wanna let you guys know about. And as I would assume at least a vast majority, if not all of you guys know at this point, we've talked about it a little bit, is John the only book in the Bible about Jesus' life, yes or no? No, how many books are about Jesus' life? Four, right? There's four gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so in between John chapter five, John chapter six, we see in these synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see some other things that happen, right? So Jesus has just healed this man at the pool. He has just declared that he is God, that he is going to judge humanity, that he is life. And then there's this break John 5, John 6, and we're gonna look, we're gonna see in Matthew chapter 14, Luke chapter nine, and Mark chapter six, there's some other things that happen. So the first thing that happened is John the Baptist. Do you guys remember John the Baptist? So John the Baptist is beheaded. Yes, Herod beheads him. It is a very, very interesting story. We're not gonna cover all the ins and outs of that tonight, but that's in Mark chapter six, if you wanna read about that. John the Baptist is beheaded, and then we also see that Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. And he sends them out, and he tells them to preach the good news, and also he gives them authority over demons and over principalities to cast them out, and also to heal people. So we see that the disciples are sent out and John chapter six picks up after John the Baptist is beheaded, after the disciples are sent out, they come back to Jesus and Jesus tells the disciples, we're gonna go to this place and we're gonna get some rest. You've been pouring out for a while. We're gonna take a little bit of a vacation, a little bit of a break. So we're gonna pick up in John chapter six in that little bit of a break, okay? So beginning in verse one, I'm gonna read one through 15 first. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples and the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, all, or when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 
After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Point number one is this, is that we get to partner with Jesus. So like what I just told you, right? The, the synoptic gospels kind of tell us that the disciples were doing a lot of work before this thing happened. And they go up to this mountainside and you see in John, you see in the other gospels as well, that this crowd of people who have heard about Jesus, heard that he's healing people, that he's talking about how he is, the disciples didn't. And when the disciples saw work, Jesus had compassion. That's the first thing that we need to see. What do I mean by that? Does anybody have an idea of what compassion means? I'm gonna call on somebody, Claire, what's compassion? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. So what, so what Claire is saying is that compassion is this, and you use a great word. You said empathy, right? And you said seeing them past their flaws, but seeing them as a child of God. And Jesus, when the disciples saw work, when the disciples said, man, we have just been out casting demons and preaching the good news, we're tired, these people are a burden, Jesus had compassion. Mark chapter six, verse 34 actually tells us that. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had empathy. He recognized that these people were like sheep that they didn't know which way to go without somebody guiding them that they were gonna get lost. Jesus knew that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. He knew that without help and without guidance, these people were helpless. And when the disciples saw work, Jesus had compassion. And this word compassion, if you look at it in the Greek, it's a little funky, but it actually means a deep yearning in the bowels. You know what the bowels are? Yeah? So here's the thing. Have you guys ever like felt so moved by something, you kind of like felt it in your chest, you felt it in your gut a little bit? Yeah? Jesus saw these people and realized how helpless they were without him, the true north, the light of the world, that he felt it. And he was going to do something about it. Let's watch this video real quick.
Hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. Please say you'll be the answer for an innocent animal who's suffering right now. An animal who needs your help. Please, call the number on your screen or go online and join the BCSPCA with a monthly gift right now. For just $18 a month, you'll rescue animals from their abusers, provide medical care, food, shelter, and love. Call or join online in the next 30 minutes and we'll send you the photo of an animal in the shelter and this beautiful tote bag, free. This is your chance to say, I won't sit by while an animal suffers. Please call or go online right now. So who is sad right now? A lot of you guys, right? Here's, here's the thing. A lot of you guys think those commercials are kind of corny because you've probably seen them before, but I pretty much guarantee the first time you saw it, you probably felt a little sad. But this is also one thing that I know. I do not know of anybody who saw one of those commercials, felt sad, and went out and adopted a dog from Sarah McLaughlin after that. And here's the thing. The disciples, they saw the people, they saw them as work. And oftentimes in our life, we see people in their situations. We see the person who's sitting by themselves at the lunch table. We see the person who gets picked on by our friends, and we do nothing about it. We feel bad for them, and then we forget it 25 seconds later. Not only did Jesus see the people where they were at, but he actually did something about it. And that's what we have to recognize. That Jesus loves us in our hurt, but Jesus loves us actually not just enough that he sees us and leaves us there, but enough that he sees us and he walks with us through those things. And as followers of Jesus, we need to, be, we need to recognize that we are trying to look like Jesus. And in your life, if you're constantly turning your head to the person who has a need, when you have all the means to help them through it, or at least give them a shoulder to cry on, or somebody to talk to, you're not being like Jesus. You need to get it together. So Jesus saw the people, he saw that they were a sheep without a shepherd. The first thing that he did was that he had compassion on them. Well, the next thing, the people needed to be taught. So again, Jesus taught them. We see that in Mark 6, 34. And then he fed them. And what's crazy is this is the feeding of the 5,000, right? But one thing that the majority of historians and commentators and Bible followers and all these things can agree on is that it was not just 5,000 people. It was 5,000 men. We see that that's actually labeled in the book of John. The book of Matthew says this, it's 5,000 men. So the majority of people are gonna think that it's probably anywhere between 15 and 20,000 people that were there listening to Jesus. And Jesus teaches them because they need to know who the light of the world is, but the people also get hungry. to eat. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was gonna do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite, not to get full, not to leave and be able to walk home and not have a stomach rumbling, but to have a bite. 
And when Philip said this, he meant it. He said it would take more than 200 denarii. Well, what do we know about a denarii in scripture? Well, in Matthew 20, 21, there's a parable about um, vineyard workers. And we see that they actually work every day for one single denarii. That is their day's wages. So it would take over 200 days worth of work to feed these people just one bite. And so when Jesus asked Philip, what are we gonna do about this thing that we have to figure out? Philip immediately, Jesus already knew how he was gonna do it. I think a lot of times in our life, we limit God because we want God to do things on our standards or the way that we think he should do them. You see, Philip was worried about the finances when Jesus already had the answer. And so in your life, if you feel like you're supposed to start a Bible study or feel like you need to share Jesus with this person and you don't think that you know enough of the Bible, you need to recognize that if God has called you to do something, you need to be obedient. He's gonna work out how it gets done, but you have to be obedient. So Jesus asks this to Philip. Well, then Andrew, he pipes in. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And one thing that we need to see is that Jesus had already done miracles before, right? He'd already turned water every single day miraculously. So God already has a track record of feeding people, right? So... Andrew, he, he speaks up. We got these five loaves and we got these two small fish. Well, that's nothing to write home about, y'all. These five small loaves, it was seen as like the ramen of the day, basically. It was the poor people food. And the two small fish, it wasn't even like fish that would like take you a couple of bites to eat. It was almost like relish that you would put on top of crackers. So we got some ramen cakes and we got some, some like toppings for the ramen cakes. What are we gonna do with that? And what happens? Jesus miraculously multiplies it. And one principle that I think we need to recognize is this. Who multiplied the food? You guys answer, who did that? Jesus. Jesus. Who handed out the food? No, the disciples. Who multiplied it? Who handed it out to the people? Who multiplied the food? Who handed it out? recognize Jesus is the one who's gonna do the miraculous, but Jesus chooses to partner with us. We don't know how the food was multiplied. We don't know what physical, physics properties were broken to make the food multiply. We know Jesus did it, and we know that the disciples got it to the people. Recognize that you and I have been called to share the good news. Recognize that you have been given talents and abilities and skills. God's gonna get his will done. Are you gonna partner with him? Because he wants to partner with you. The food got to the people through the hands of the disciples and the power of Jesus. That principle is still the same today. So let's keep on reading. In verse 16, it says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. 
By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. And a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the, the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with the disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. The next point is this, is mountains and valleys. What we need to see is we think about the in-between story between John 5 and John 6. John the Baptist is beheaded, and then the disciples go out and they share the good news. They spread the good news. They're healing people, casting out demons, and then they need a vacation break. They need some time because they just have exerted so much. They need their cup to be filled back again, right? Well, Jesus is like, let's go to this mountainside. We're gonna chill for a little bit. And a bunch of people follow him. And what happens? Miraculously, 15 to 20,000 people are fed, right? If you and I were with Jesus when 15 to 20,000 people were fed miraculously, you'd probably leave feeling pretty good about yourself, right? Be like, man, this is a miracle. This is crazy. These people were hungry and we got food for them and we only spent $2.50 on these kids' bread and fishes. This is crazy, right? So you're thinking all that and immediately, what do we see? Jesus tells them to get on a boat and to row into a storm. And a principle of life, a principle of ministry is that life a lot of times looks like this. It looks like mountaintop, 15 to 20,000 people fed miraculously moments and then rowing into a storm, valleys. If you don't believe me, we'll start at the Bible. So there was a prophet named Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18, you can see this story. But Elijah faced off against 450 prophets of Baal. Raise your hand if you've heard this story before. Good, a lot of you. So let's refresh or teach for the first time. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, you see Elijah facing off against these prophets. And what happens? They're talking smack against God. They're saying that he ain't all that, that their God, Baal, is the real God, and Baal's obviously a false God, right? So Elijah challenges these prophets. He's like, hey, showdown. This is what we're gonna do. We're both gonna set up altars. You guys are gonna go first, and you guys are gonna get your false God, Baal, to call down fire from heaven. So these guys start going, they start dancing like hooligans, they start like jumping around, it's taking a while, they literally start cutting themselves, they start doing insane stuff. And Elijah, he feeling good, he starts taunting them. He's like, hey, is Baal going poop or something? Is Baal going pee? Did Baal not hear you? Is he hard of hearing? Is he asleep? Where's Baal at? And eventually, as you guys would probably expect, no fire comes down from heaven, right? Well, then Elijah goes, and he's like, you know what? This isn't hard enough. Let's dump some water on this altar. They dump some water on the altar. They dump some water again. Eventually, the altar is like soaked. This fire comes down from heaven, consumes the entire altar. And then what happens? Elijah and his boys kill all 450 prophets of Baal. 
So this massive victory for God, they wipe out these false prophets, a massive victory for the people of God, and the next day, Queen Jezebel finds out that Elijah just did this. He faced 450 dudes and partnered with God and saw God prevail. And then one lady, Queen Jezebel, says that she's after him, and you know what happens? Elijah runs away, and he prays to God saying, I wish I was never born. I wish I was never born. Just defeated 400 prophets, saw fire come down from heaven, saw God's hand move miraculously. Next day, wishes that he was never born. And what happens? God meets him right where he was at. He ministers to him. He feeds him. He gets him back up and ready to go. And the very next thing we see in the life of Elijah is he calls the prophet to come after him, Elisha. And what do we know about the life of Elisha? Elisha actually raised the boy from the dead in the Old Testament. What do we see? Mountaintop of 450 prophets of Baal are defeated. Valley of I wish I was never born. God walks me back up to the next mountaintop of calling someone who is going to be the next beacon of hope for the people of God. So recognize in your life, you're probably gonna see a lot of this, but the one constant is gonna be that God is with you every single step, every single step. The same God who was with the disciples when they were feeding the 5,000 was the same God who was watching as they were rowing into the storm. This happens in our life with small things, right? I'll tell you this, what if you, let's say, who just had a test? Raise your hand if you just had a test. Yeah, four tests, okay. So let's say Caleb gets awesome grades on all of his tests. What's gonna happen? Caleb's gonna have to study for another test. He's gonna be riding high on that A until he hits a unit that he doesn't like. He's gonna be riding high, I'm killing this, I'm killing this, I'm killing this, and then there's gonna be a valley at some point. There's little things like that that go like this. For me, my favorite NFL team, the Patriots, won six Super Bowls in 17 years, arguably the greatest franchise run ever. It is yet to be beaten like that. I'm sure history will probably do something better in the future. They are one of the worst teams in the NFL right now. They are terrible. And I hope that we hit another Super Bowl high again, but right now, we're dealing with the Valley. Life looks like this, but when Jesus told the disciples to row, knowing that they would row into a storm, he was gonna be with them. So there's mountains and there's valleys. And the last principle that we need to see is that obedience is tough, yet never wasted. So the disciples had to be obedient, and their obedience led them into a storm, right? It says this in Mark chapter six, verse 48. It says, Jesus was watching from above the entire time, then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And what we know about this from, from John's account and from the other gospels is the disciples probably rowed across the Sea of Galilee for between six and eight hours, a long time. And they were stuck at three to four miles into the lake. And we see that it was the, the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus sent them the day before, the night before, right? And they are absolutely stuck. They feel like they're not going anywhere. And Jesus is watching them the whole time. And then what happens? Well, 
Let's pick up right here. It says Mark chapter six, verse 48. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. And eventually they welcomed Jesus in. And what is crazy is the Sea of Galilee at some point is almost eight miles wide. The disciples were only three to four miles in, meaning that they were halfway across the lake. And as soon as Jesus got into the boat, the boat jumped, or however it happened, and immediately reached the, the shore, and the storms were stopped. So the remaining miles that they had to go, right to the shore, another miracle. And the principle in this is the disciples were probably frustrated because they were rowing into a storm, not getting anywhere. They were stuck. And if you read through all the gospels, you see this is not the first time the disciples were stuck with Jesus in a storm. The first time Jesus was in the bottom of the boat, he was sleeping and the disciples were scared and Jesus stands up, he silenced the storms, peace be still. The disciples were terrified that time. They were probably frustrated this time. What in the world? You literally just told me to row. We just did this thing. I'm so tired. It's been days on days on days of doing ministry and we're literally rowing against the storm. We're trying not to get capsized. Come on. And as soon as Jesus gets into the boat, they get there. When I was in my second semester of my freshman year at Furman, I was in a little bit of, of a situation like that because I'd been, the Lord convicted me of that and changed and, and so I started to build back into good relationships here while I was at Furman. I didn't have many good friends at Furman so I was lonely but I was pouring into um, one of the Christian ministries on campus and volunteering a ton here and helping with RSM and I, I was a music major. And if you guys don't know, the thing that I have always wanted to do was I have always wanted to go on tour and always wanted to play music. I've always wanted to be in a tour bus, traveling the world, playing for different artists and recording. In my freshman year, a lot of people around are like, man, this summer I'm gonna be with this person and I got called for this thing and I'm recording this thing and I got none of that. And I was like, God, I literally have turned my life around. I'm making, I'm making good choices. I'm following after you. I'm pouring into where I'm at at church. I'm trying to, to get back to where I'm having, I'm trying to figure this out. And one random day in May, I got a phone call from the now local lead pastor at Greenville, Joe. And he just asked me randomly on the phone, hey, do you wanna intern at Renovation this summer under Matt? And that was the last thing that I thought I would be doing. Yet it has led to here. And I'm not telling you that the trajectory has always been like this. The trajectory has been mountains and valleys. But I felt like I was rowing against the storm, not getting anywhere. And I had forgotten that Jesus had a plan the whole time. And so in your life, if you feel like you were up against a brick wall, recognize that your obedience is never wasted. Your long obedience in the same direction of following God, to try and be pure in your relationships and to make good friends and to make good decisions and to go against the direction of what culture is going is never, ever 
wasted. And you have no idea what is behind the next door. Just continue to be obedient and God is gonna honor that. Recognize that when you plant seeds, that when the Lord plants seeds in you, those seeds take time before they grow up and sprout. There's gotta be a time of being under the soil when nobody sees anything. It's not flashy, it's not cute. A lot of people are gonna step on you. But then there's gonna be a time where you bear fruit. And that bearing fruit doesn't come about by anything special that you're doing, but by the work of God in your heart and in your life and your willingness to be obedient to what he's doing. So I want something more than what you're doing right now. It may be that you have great friends, but the only thing that you guys talk about is cod when you could talk about Jesus. And so you're gonna make an active change to say, hey, instead of spending 24 hours straight playing cod, let's actually do a Bible study together. Maybe it's that you're in some poor relationships or a poor dating relationships. You guys can't keep your hands off of each other. This person's not following Jesus. We don't need to be doing this. I need to make a break here because I'm gonna choose to make Jesus the Lord of my life instead of this relationship. Look in your life. Where can I be obedient? Where can I step into the calling of God that he has on my life? And how can I make a practical change? You guys are dismissed to go to your small group. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.